Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? You think that there's a good chance, I suspect, that Antonio Conte is the man. Tottenham finished second. Ooh. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Now I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the Chief Manchester United writer for the Manchester Evening News. Samuel Luckhurst is with us. Uh, good morning, Samuel. Good morning. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, we are. Well, there's never, never, never not something to talk about. Anyway. It, it, certainly, when it comes <laughs> to Manchester United, we've we've just been uh, talking about the lack of talk of Manchester United and what will happen on the pitch in terms of formation and structure, because it is an absolute circus again this summer with Manchester United, particularly around Cristiano Ronaldo and. We've spoken to a few different people on this over the last few days and the signs seem to be pointing that Ronaldo won't be there at the end of this transfer window, that it could well be a move on loan back to Sporting Lisbon. What, what's your understanding of what's likely to happen over the next couple of weeks? I think there's certainly a conscious effort on Ronaldo's part and, and his team's part to try and keep him as relevant as possible. They've had Chelsea mentioned, you've had Bayern Munich mentioned, Atletico Madrid mentioned. Uh, some of those links have, have been credible, have been concrete. There have been some discussions in the case of others that there haven't been any discussions and some of the clubs have been a little bit bemused by it all. As, as far as Sporting and Lisbon are concerned, it's, it's another obvious team to link him with. It, it would be going back to Portugal it's the team he, he starts his career at and most importantly they're a Champions League side Qu- quite how they would actually afford his wages I don't know uh, That that's the other stumbling block there but again I think as long as Ronaldo's at United uh, his team uh, obviously George Mendes is his agent and normally in football if, if you if there is an agent who can make the impossible possible mm. it is George Mendes but for those of us who are in United how how much of a motivating factor for Ronaldo is money right now? Well, he's had a big salary cut by United not qualifying for the Champions League. All the players have had a 25% uh, hit um, as, as far as their... Our their thoughts and prayers are with Ronaldo at this time and all that. <laughs> Yeah. I know, I know. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why Nottingham Forest had no problem covering all of Dean Henderson's wages, because although Henderson does uh, earn excess of uh, 100 grand a week, that's obviously been slashed to a to a five-figure uh, amount. So it's it's easier for Forest to be able to get a good goalkeeper in, a Premier League goalkeeper in, uh, to become their number one. But as far as Ronaldo's concerned, I, th- I think Champions League football and trying to remain uh, and, and stay among the elite is the major factor, but obviously when you've got you're on a big salary and and you you take quite a hit to it, and there might be another club out there who would offer you more. That's that's always going to be an incentive. But I do genuinely think that that sporting reasons do um, do trump the money in this case. What what are the feelings, Samuel, around Manchester United fans at this stage um, from your perspective in relation to Ronaldo? It's a little bit mixed. It, it's that there has been a shift in mood because of how they've played in pre-season, particularly on the pre-season tour where you've, you've seen three 20 something forwards play quite well, score, move fluidly. It was quite telling that at halftime of the Villa game when United were two nil up. And again, the front three had been playing very well that Ronaldo posted that, 
photo of him working out almost again just to try and stay relevant to remind people that he was still around that that he's still the man in, in his eyes or the king as he said last week but ultimately he is the most dependable goal scorer in that team and it has got to the point now where because it has become a bit of a circus a lot of fans wouldn't mind it if he just packed up his tents and left town uh, a little bit like with the Paul Pogba scenario but with Ronaldo at least it won't go on for as long as it did with Pogba but if he does stay I think United fans would accept that because we've been in this situation before going back to 2008 he was agitating to leave for Real Madrid that year Alex Ferguson got one more year out of him and then you had a season where th- there was a lot of scrutiny on him. He would score a goal, he wouldn't celebrate. That was a story. The Madrid speculation, well, it wasn't speculation. It was, you know, it was, it was concrete information. That was, that, that kept on going up until the point that he did finally leave the club a year later. So f- for those of us who, who remember that, this is all familiar territory and this is the baggage you get when you when you sign Ronaldo. Nathan spoke about this before you came on, how um, he had this, you know, this reputation maybe that, you know, he was such a professional in the dressing room and this didn't prove to be the case where he was effectively a prima donna from the outset. I, I guess from looking at it, from my perspective last season, whatever Ronaldo achieved, and I think you can debate this, whereas he, you, you mentioned Samuel, the goals he scored, there was an absolute collective collapse in the offensive unit apart from Ronaldo. All of the other players are far more or less tailed off badly so is there is there is there murmurs from the dressing room in terms of like those attacking players obviously Rashford is the obvious one we mentioned as well Fernandez who's form so Ronaldo must be some sort of a negative influence there in the dressing room well th- th- from what I un- uh, gathered last season his presence and his professionalism in the in the dressing room was largely appreciated particularly in the last days of of Solskjaer's reign he was pretty much telling the players that they they had to you know remain 100% committed to give as much as they got even if they didn't believe in the manager he, he was quite open about not backing Solskjaer but it didn't stop him from trying to affect results and and gain points and you go back to Solskjaer's last weeks he he got a couple of stay of executions because of Ronaldo, whether it was the winner at Tottenham or the, the two goals he scored against Atalanta. It delayed the inevitable, but Ronaldo was one of the few players who you could d- definitely say was still trying and, and, and putting a shift in. And although Rangnick had uh, reservations about him, Ronaldo ended that pretty disastrous tenure as United's best player as well. Again, there's a lot of baggage with him. He's earned that because of the brilliant player he's been. And there are unedifying sides to um, to his, not not his game as such, but his, his makeup, I guess, his personality. Obviously, some didn't like the fact that he left the, the stadium early on Sunday, even though other players left as well um, before, before full-time. And, and he's going to get more scrutinised than others because he is Cristiano Ronaldo. But he is by and large appreciated by, by his teammates. There will be some players who will be hoping that he does go. I would imagine Maguire is one of them because he certainly felt cowed by Ronaldo's presence at United last season. And it, it, it was common knowledge last season as well. It got to the point that Ronaldo really didn't necessarily rate Maguire as as United captain but he wasn't the only one there there are a number of players in that dressing room who are still at the club who just do not believe in Harry Maguire as United captain so just on that Samuel is that is that personality wise or because of the quality of his play I don't think so much the quality of his play I think there's an appreciation that he is a good defender but 
ultimately, and this is an opinion shared by a lot of United supporters as well, they look at Harry Maguire and they think you're just not you're not a Man United captain. And he's not the first. I mean, the, the recent list of captains has been an underwhelming uh, list. I mean, Antonio Valencia had it for a year. And I think in all his time in England, he probably spoke about a dozen words of English on camera. Then it was Ashley Young. And that only lasted six months before he went to Inter Milan. And then Maguire got it just six, six months into his United career. So it was a pretty premature appointment. But he was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's man. He was the £80 million signing. He was on a six-year contract. It, it made a lot of sense from, from the manager's perspective. But objectively, th- there were a lot of issues with making Maguire captain. And so that's proved to be the case um, looking at last season. It's so it's so important to Simon. Is that when you look at Henderson and you look at the, the Liverpool, what they are, what they embody. And this was a, a feature of Man United. Because Maguire, you could tell... I mean, you could tell from looking at his performances, he's not, he's, he's not a bad footballer, but you could tell he was making mistakes and his body language he was all over the place. But this lack of leadership, it was a serious, serious issue you could tell uh, in that team week to week. It certainly was, and I, I didn't notice it at the time, but when Ronaldo scored his third goal against Norwich to put United 3-2 up again, they were 2-0 up, it went 2-2, it was spiralling, Pogba was getting abused, uh, but then Ronaldo did what he often did last season and he won the game. It, there was a clip afterwards that a fan had filmed of Maguire in that he was the only outfield player who didn't celebrate with Ronaldo. And a lot of fans picked up on that to the point that a few weeks later, when I was, I think, in attendance for the last home game of the season, uh, Ronaldo came off. Or he was getting a round of applause for something. And some supporters noticed that Maguire was sat down and not applauding. And they started to give Maguire jib over it. Um, they t- asked him to, to show some effing respect, I think, I believe was the, the words used by one supporter. So, so Maguire has lost a lot of confidence in the fan base. Uh, he's a lot of lost of constant a lot of confidence among teammates. But then when you go look at the the booing he received recently in Melbourne, s- certainly things like that can work in his favour because it will you know whip up the other section of the United fan base who are supportive and who would never turn on the players to get behind him. And that certainly happened last season after the you know booing from great England fans during the March internationals. Something that Ronaldo and Harry Maguire do have in common is that they topped this list that was released <laughs> yesterday of most abused players on Twitter last season. Yeah. It was research carried out by the Alan Turing Institute and Ofcom analysed 2.3 million messages directed at Premier League players over the last five months of last season. It found 60,000 posts deemed abusive, with 68% of players in the top flight receiving at least one message in that period uh, Ronaldo received the most followed by Harry Maguire and then Marcus Rashford eight Manchester United players featured in the top 10 now part of it is I'm sure that Cristiano Ronaldo has by far the biggest following on social media so maybe is always going to attract more but like Harry Kane and Jack Grealish the only non-Manchester United players in the top 10 again it just underlines this huge negativity that seems to be surrounding the club at the moment yeah, there, there's a, quite an easy way of separating certain fan bases on Twitter. And for some time, it's appeared that United's have been the angriest because they've not won anything in five years, because they're mired in um, all sorts of uh, shambles from, from time to time. Uh, there's, there's Last season, they couldn't go a month without a crisis. It felt like there was a crisis every week. I suppose Ronaldo's 
towards the top of that list or tops that list because you've got this rivalry with Lionel Messi fanboys on Twitter because Ronaldo, by and large, doesn't get much abuse at all from, well, he doesn't get any abuse from knowledgeable and sus Manchester United supporters. With Maguire, I, I, I thought he might have been, you know, in a league of his own because he has really copped a hell of a lot of flack for, for quite a long time at United. There's there's this warped faction of the United fan base, uh, It's which is quite bizarre in that they do not like English players playing for England's most famous football club. Uh, that was an issue when Dean Henderson was vying with David De Gea for the goalkeeping uh, position just over a year ago. It, it was just blinded by some supporters preferring a foreign goalkeeper and abhorring the prospect of an English goalkeeper being in goal. And there are some who think that Solskjaer showed um, too much solidarity with English players last season. I, I can't see any proof of that. I mean, just take Marcus Rashford, for example. Mm. He dropped him quite quite quickly after he came back into the team and, and Rashford felt that his development was was hin- hindered by, by Solskjaer's management and lack of coaching. He, he wasn't someone who stepped onto the training pitch. But as you say, uh, with with the season starting just four days' time and for them to have only made three signings, only sold one player in this summer where there was supposed to be this massive squad rebuild. They're massively behind the curve again, but I don't think there's been a point in the last last nine years where they've actually been ahead of the curve at all. So just to put a wrap on the Ronaldo situation, like we comment in from John Claffey saying Ronaldo's the typical player Fergie would have got rid of back in the day, and Ferguson is obviously involved in this now in the background. But in terms of what happens next, like I'm sure there's a huge PR angle for this because from Eric Ten Hag's point of view, like it'd be a big PR win if he's the one who decided, if publicly it's seen that he decided, I'm not putting up with Ronaldo leaving our friendly before the end of the game. I've had enough. I want this guy out of the club. Whereas Ronaldo's people clearly want to be seen, well, you know, United aren't a Champions League team. He's going back home to Sporting Lisbon for the love of it, for the love of it. Like, the, How is this going to develop over the next couple of weeks? It would surprise me if it goes until uh, deadline day, just because that's the way the player and his team are operating. And United, uh, you know, their hands are tied unless they get an acceptable bid that comes in. But it, it is something that's where, where Ronaldo is actually back in the fold again. I think it's only going to intensify. It was quite noticeable during a stoppage in the first half against Vallecano on Saturday when Ten Hag made a beeline for Ronaldo, obviously all of us, the press box was pretty sparse, but those of us there were scrutinising what was going on. It was quite apparent that Ronaldo didn't necessarily appreciate what Ten Hag was saying, just going off the body language. But when Ronaldo comes out on Instagram, on, on you know, commenting on an account that, that worships him, that he follows and says the King is playing on Sunday, that that's a power play in itself. You can imagine the way Ten Hag is trying to manage that squad and he has managed it very well from what we've observed on the pre-season tour. He's he's brought discipline back in. Uh, authority has been restored to the manager's role at United. That's not been there for four years, dating back to the summer, Jose Mourinho's last summer, where they undermined him and they didn't back him because then his replacement was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And one of the first things he did was to empower Paul Pogba, which was, again, just kowtowing to this player power cottery at the club. And that's only ended because Pogba's gone and a couple of others have left as well. So Ten Hag has got the authority and and United are backing him. But unless they get an offer that's going to be deemed acceptable, that reflects the last year of the greatest goal scorer in the game's history contract, um, 
they, they can't do much about it and they've got to try and make it work with Ronaldo while he is still there. But as we saw last year with Juventus, uh, that, that deal to United happened very late on in August and United only signed him because he was he was going to join Manchester City. So when push comes to shove, maybe a club will be tempted to go for him. But Atletico, Chelsea, Bayern Munich, despite all the noise that's been uh, whipped up by Ronaldo's camp, there's not much noise uh, or, or much interest coming from those clubs whatsoever at this stage. So United start their season against Brighton on Sunday at Old Trafford, 2 o'clock kickoff. It's going to be live on Off the Ball. At the first day of the season is the most difficult one for commentators because you're trying to figure out what's been happening in pre-season and new signings and who's going to start where. And United have signed Lissandra Martinez, Terrell Malaysia in defence, and then Christian Eriksen has come in as well. What is the Manchester United team likely to look like on Sunday in terms of formation and in terms of who will be getting a start? Do my job for me is what I'm saying, basically, Samuel. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it would it would seem like they will go with four two three one, and I think maybe only one of those new signings will start. Um, Ten Hag has prioritised continuity across pre-season, so rather than just um, completely changing the starting eleven for for one game, he's he's tried to maintain, as I say, match rhythm, uh, bedding players in. Victor Lindelof, who is effectively the fourth choice centre-back, he's actually started in five of the pre-season games. The only one he didn't start in was the Vallecano game on Sunday, which was reserved for the reserves, if you like, because United played against Atletico Madrid in Oslo on Saturday. And it is, again, remarkable when I say that they've signed three players and not one of them is an out-and-out central midfielder. So the likelihood is that the midfield on Sunday against Brighton will be Scott McTominay and Fred, which you can imagine the meltdown that's going to cause on Twitter when the team is confirmed. And it's those two again. Fred, in fairness to him, was one of the few players who actually performed well under Ralph Rangnick. And he's had a very good pre-season as well. With McTominay, he has a ceiling and that's been apparent for quite some time. And maybe Ten Hag can improve him because United actually now have a manager, who a permanent manager who does the coaching, who leaves the office and manages players um, in, in a very specific way. And the, the, the drills they've been doing in pre-season, having observed them, have been very innovative and there's always been a purpose to them and, and United are trying to play a more sophisticated, uh, proactive pos- possession-based style and you could see how well the players actually adapted to that, which was maybe one of the more surprising things on tour, that the players proved that, that they're not they're not bad players, as bad as they were last season when they've got a good coach um, overseeing things, they can adapt quite quickly. But there's only so much Ten Hag can mask as as a very good coach because although the football's improved and the coaching has improved, the squad has barely improved. They're so short or, or light of proven attackers. And at the moment, they're hanging their hat on Anthony Marshall to be the, the dependable goal scorer of the number nine. And certainly entering the summer, his future was extremely uncertain. Um, there was not a lot of fanfare about him whatsoever coming mm. out from Old Trafford. But he's the starting number nine. Yet, you look at his time at United, he's had seven seasons there. Only two of them have been genuinely good seasons. He scored eight goals for the club in the last two seasons. And when he's presented with competition, whether it's been Ibrahimovic or Sanchez, uh, or Cavani or Ronaldo, he's crumbled. And so it wasn't a surprise on the pre-season tour where he was completely devoid of any competition that he played well. And he's he's impressed the coaches and he'll certainly start the season. 
but whether he's going to all of a sudden transform into a um, you know mid twenties goal scorer for for the upcoming season remains to be seen. So. You know, I think it's pretty clear at this stage anyway that they're going to be active in the transfer market right up until deadline day because they're just too short in too many departments still. And the central midfield position, you mentioned McTominay and Fred and uh, what inevitably will come at the weekend when they start in that two in midfield. I sort of assumed throughout last season that like Declan Rice would be a Manchester United player this summer. Like it's been, He's been linked with them for so long. It's such an obvious player to come in and take hold of that position. Have they done anything about that central midfield role? And is there a reason why their interest in Rice from the outside looks like it's cooled? They just could not get him this summer. They are restricted uh, by the profile of targets they can get because they're not a Champions League club anymore. They've just had their most disastrous season probably since the relegation in 1974 they are a tough sell uh, to a lot of players the players the caliber of players that they would like to have and in rice's case with his contract situation i think west ham were always confident they could keep him for one more year but there is going to come a point where they're going to have to sell him because his resale his, his uh, value made dwindle he's not going to want to be at west ham for the rest of his career let's be in frank uh, let's be frank about that um, West Ham had their best season in years and years and years last season. United had their worst season in decades and United still finished above West Ham with, with David Moyes there. Very good coach there he is and he's done a really good job at West Ham. Again, there's a ceiling and I think last season was probably as good as it got for West Ham. I, I certainly don't see them finishing above United this season or mm. forcing their way into the Champions League. Uh, maybe they'd have done it last season had they won the Europa League, of course, but they fell short there eventually. So Rice was just not on the agenda for United um, this summer. Last summer, they probably had a better chance of, it, of signing him. But again, he was unattainable just because of the length of, left on his contract. And obviously, I think West Ham can trigger it by by year as well, which just de- delays the inevitable um, because, again, nobody envisages him uh, seeing out his career at West Ham or signing a new contract there. So that's why they've been in for Frankie de Jong for, I believe, it's 12 weeks to the day since they first <laughs> contacted Barcelona about him. And the only reason they're in for Frankie de Jong is because of the manager. Um, if they'd hired Mauricio Pochettino, they would not be touching de Jong with a barge pole, but they are continuing with this potentially disastrous pursuit of De Jong because they're emboldened by Ten Hag's working relationship with him despite all the you know pretty pessimistic noises coming out of De Jong's camp and coming out of Barcelona I think Samuel touches on it there the like that's for a West Ham player Manchester United was a hard sell and they for other players and there are John Duggan said it here earlier Samuel there are obvious echoes now to Manchester United right now and Liverpool around about the time I started sporting Liverpool in the Graham Sooners days into and then you had Roy Evans and just it became a bit of an irrelevance in the title race that's where Man United are at the moment it's it's a really fascinating parallel because with Ferguson being brought back into the fold or certainly being consulted more on, on certain matters and David Gill being consulted more on certain matters it's it's almost as if they are trying to prolong this boot room culture mm. that Liverpool tried to. And when Liverpool did it, it didn't work. It failed. It was only when they abandoned that culture completely by empowering Julier in, um, in, in getting rid of Roy Evans and making him the standalone manager that success returned. Uh, I think a lot of people forget it, it maybe came back to 
it got more publicity when when Julio sadly passed away. But mm. he did a terrific job for Liverpool, um, winning those um, those three trophies in 2001, and then getting them up to second the following season. And United, I mean, Ibrahimovic touched upon it in his book. I think he said they were stuck in the past uh, with with what they were doing. They are trying to be more progressive with the way they do things. But when you bring in Ferguson back into the fold, who absolutely great, you know, great manager that he was for United and did great things for that club. But I don't necessarily think that they should be, you know, seeking his advice on things when he's been an ambassador for nine years. And David Gill was an extremely overrated chief executive as well. It was just a case of Alex Ferguson asking him to sign players and, he would sign them. And in the case of maybe Wesley Snyder or Meza Ertz or all these other players that they didn't sign, he didn't sign them. Um, but I think because he's associated with the glory days, it, it colours pe- a lot of people's uh, view of him, that he's this figure of success and he should be integral to getting United up and running again and making them a credible force. But they just can't separate or divorce themselves from the glory era. They have to have some form of attachment uh, with someone there, whether it was the ludicrous decision of you know keeping Solskjaer as long as they did, or re-signing Ronaldo because he was only going to join Manchester City, and until somebody comes in and is objective, and let's face it, Rangnick was an objective troubleshooter there last season. He was fascinating to listen to, not a particularly good manager, but I think his way in terms of how United should operate was pretty sound and. His, his his consultancy contract was ripped up before it had even become active. I think Ten Hag was not even a week into the job when when Rangnick was was let go, and we could see that coming as well. But again, for for those of us who, who cover United uh, quite quite meticulously, um, I, I just don't see the sense in this attachment to the past. I think it's it's becoming a weakness. Uh, to wrap up uh, the lads on TalkSport it's a couldn't believe their luck when they sat down with Dean Henderson yesterday uh, where he went to town on Manchester United uh, obviously was backup keeper last season to David De Gea he said he was promised that he'd be the number one said I turned down so many good loan moves last summer for that reason and they say and they wouldn't let me go it was frustrating to sit there waste 12 months is criminal really at my age I was fuming as Dean Henderson got reason to be frustrated yeah, you can see why United never put him up for interview when he came back to the club for those two seasons. And I think he said that as well yesterday. He said it's evident I've not been, I've not done an interview for two years, even ahead of Europa League games or Champions I just don't, I just don't know why. I just don't know why they wouldn't let me speak. I know, I know. But I, I, I did that story last year that he, he was promised to be number one, but then he contracted COVID. He was laid low with it. The transfer window closed. But again, that was just indecisiveness, classic indecisiveness from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in that he he didn't follow through with that decision. Tom Heaton rejoined the club on the understanding that he would be the number two because United intended to phase out De Gea, probably try and get him out on loan because there was no way a club who are dreadful at selling players would have sold their most well their highest earner at the time and someone who had three years left on on his contract. Um, but then what happens is that De Gea ends up being the player's player of the season and uh, finished runner-up to Ronaldo in the fans' player of the season because Solskjaer just did not have the courage to stick to his guns uh, and, and go with Henderson, which was the original plan. And Henderson got fobbed off a couple of times in the uh, 2021 season where Solskjaer 
promised him he would start games, then he'd renege on that pledge and De Gea would start. That season was remarkable in that Henson only became the number one for a short period because of a pregnant woman. De Gea left to, um, to go on paternity leave in Spain when his wife gave birth, uh, I think in March of 2021, which nobody would have blamed him for, especially at that time with, with the pandemic. And that's the only reason why Dean Henderson had the run of games that he that he did and became number one, as I say, for a very brief period. And then it was it was COVID that allowed Solskjaer to restore De Gea as number one the next season. And Henderson barely got a look in. And, and let's face it, Henderson was not the only player at United who suffered because of Solskjaer's indecisiveness. Donny van der Beek, Jesse Lingard. Edinson Cavani, Axel Tunzibi, Diogo Dallo, the list goes on. There were so many disgruntled players because Solskjaer's man management, which certainly at the start of his reign was was tactful and certainly successful, um, just just wasn't working anymore. And as I said, he, that indecisiveness just didn't help the, the dressing room dynamic at the mm. club. All right, Samuel Lucas, there's uh, plenty to talk about as always when it comes to Manchester United. That was great stuff. Thank you ever so much. Thank you for having me on. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.